So when Cody and I got married, uh, we had our honeymoon in Las Vegas for a number of different reasons. Now, don't, don't worry, we didn't gamble. We didn't do anything silly. Actually, we, we, we did put $5 in a slot machine just to say we did it, uh, but that's a, it's a story for another time. Anyway, we, we, we went to Vegas. We spent uh, a week there, took a detour to Arizona to go visit some of Cody's family. Uh, and we stayed in a resort. We didn't stay in a casino on the Strip. We stayed a little bit off Strip in a really nice little resort, um, kind of a condo feel with a full kitchen. It was really nice. Um, and one of the things that we did do while we were there is we did kind of walk through most of the casinos, maybe about, maybe about half of the casinos on the Strip while we were there. Uh, particularly, we, we went through the really nicely designed sections. We went through the, uh, the restaurants and the storefronts. If you've never been there, casinos um, aren't just places where there's gambling in Vegas. Um, in fact, pretty much we, we avoided the places where the gambling was, not because we have any particular you know, hatred of gambling, just because we're from Ontario and you can smoke in the, in the, uh, the casino part of the casino. You, you can smoke there, and being from Ontario where you can't smoke anywhere. It was almost impossible to physically walk into that part of the casinos. Um, and the reason that we, we did that, that we walked around kind of the, the more tourist-friendly parts of the casinos was that it's something that we just, we've, we've always done. One of the things that we did, um, our date nights before we had kids, was we would just go to the mall, walk around and talk and window shop and eat at the food court, which, by the way, um, if you've ever had this conversation with your spouse, where do you want to eat, have dinner? I don't know, wh- wherever you want. Well, how about this place? No, I don't want to go there. If you've ever had that conversation, the answer is a food court because you can have whatever you want and she can have whatever she wants and no one's going to argue. <laughs> it's beautiful. So we used to do that. That, that was our date night. We'd, we'd walk around the malls, go to a food court, get whatever we, 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 we wanted and eat together. It was just something that, that we did back in the day before we had kids. And we lived in Cambridge. We were half an hour away from six different malls, so that kept it fresh for us. Uh, we, we, we would pick one, drive to it, watch a movie together, dinner in the food court, window shop, and that was a date. We, we really enjoyed that. You can laugh if you want, but we, we really enjoyed doing that. Can't do that out here, especially now. we got two and a half kids. Uh, we got to be a little more creative with date nights. We don't get, have them as often as we'd like, so we take the time we have, uh, what little time we have, and try to use it well. If you've never been to Vegas, uh, as I imagine most of you probably haven't, if you've never been there, you've got to know it's a beautiful city. Not just at night when all the lights are up, but even during the day. Like during the day in Las Vegas, between, let's say, 10 in the morning and 4 o'clock in the afternoon, the city itself is deserted because everyone's night out, right? So the city itself is just it's gorgeous. The architecture is beautiful. The storefronts are amazing. Just everything is really gorgeous, really beautiful. So that's what we did. We, we walked through uh, the different casinos. Uh, we saw a bunch of shows, had some nice meals. Uh, we did mostly the parts that are essentially malls. Uh, but there was one casino we didn't spend a whole lot of time in. It was actually probably the closest casino to our resort, the closest one to the Strip. We, we walked in, we spent maybe half an hour, maybe 45 minutes if I'm stretching it. And then we just, we, we walked out of that place and never came back. That resort, that casino was called The Win. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with the different resorts on the, on the Strip, but that was, it was The Win. Big, brown, shiny, glossy building, gorgeous building. Um, we were in there probably 
the least, the least amount of time. Casinos are meant to be aspirational in some way, right? They're meant to, to they, they, they want to entice you into wanting more, wanting that, that better kind of glossier life, you know, grass is greener on the other side, that kind of thing. They, they, they want us to want those things so that we then go and gamble so we can win the money to buy them. Uh, I'll give you an example. We saw um, a set of three candles, three candles, uh, they're called water candles. <laughs> the candles cost $4,500 American, which is a lot. Um, but when we were in the wind, uh, I, I, I just I felt this profound, deep sense of, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm just too poor to be in this room. I mean, I'm, I'm shabbily dressed. I'm too shabbily dressed to be in here. I mean, I was a tourist in a tourist city. I was a Canadian in the desert in June, all right? It was hot. I'm, I'm wearing a tank top and shorts all week long. And here I was in this beautiful, gorgeous hotel where there's crystal everywhere and, and marble all over the place and everyone is wearing a suit and tie and I feel so utterly and completely out of place. Ever felt that way? Just completely out of place? I tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit of it this morning. I did it to myself, but I'm feeling a little bit this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt and jeans. It's the middle of February. It's minus 41 with the wind, but somehow I feel very warm this morning. Have you ever felt out of place or, or underdressed for an event? Have you ever felt like you just don't measure up to the social standing of your surroundings? Or have you ever felt like someone else in the room doesn't measure up to the social standings of the room you belong to? This morning, that's what James is hitting on. So let's pray, and we'll dive right into James chapter 2. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant, James, who has written this letter to all believers, not only those who were his original audience, but us today who love you and want to serve you and want to learn from you and your word. Thank you that James is so practical, that he gives us lessons that work in our everyday lives. Help us to hear these lessons this morning. Help us to apply them to how we live and how we treat others. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So James chapter 2. Starting in verse 1, we're going to go all the way to verse 13 this morning. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, into your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I don't know about you, but I don't, when I read the book of James, I get the impression that James was just a straight shooter. He didn't beat around the bush. He gets right to the heart of what he wants to talk about, and he just talks about it. So let's, 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 let's do the same thing. Verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that expression, as you hold the faith, what James is talking about when he says that, it, it's, it's, it's a figure of speech. Right? He's basically talking about as we are Christians. As you hold the faith, as we are Christians publicly. Basically, you could translate that as as you practice your religion in your life. The point is that whenever you're publicly seen as a Christian, that's what he's talking about. I could spend the rest of the morning on just that sentence, but let me just ask you this instead. Um, when is that? When are you a Christian? When is it that you're holding the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I would argue, and I think very strongly, that the Bible would agree with me, I would argue that when you are holding the faith in Jesus Christ all the time, or if you're not, you ought to be. I've talked about this before. We're not just Christians when we're gathered together in this room. We're Christians at home with our families. We're Christians at work with our co-workers. We're Christians at the grocery store. We're Christians at the mall. We're Christians in the mall parking lot when you can't find a spot in the middle of December. We're Christians on the 401. We're Christians on the 417. We're Christians wherever we are and whenever we are, we are still Christians. And what James is telling us to do is to show no partiality towards anyone when we are being Christians. So if I could just super simplify what James is saying, he's saying never show partiality. Now, that's a really easy thing to say, right? Show no partiality. Show no favoritism to people. It's a really easy thing to say. It's a much more difficult thing to do, though. I think most of us would, would, might even go as far as to say, no, Kevin, you know what? You're wrong. It's not that difficult to not show favoritism. I don't show favoritism to anybody. Let's see about that. But first, let's talk about the example that James uses and the reason I'm in this Hokey, get up this morning. Verse 2. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, into your church, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. Well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet. Have you not then made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Remember, James is talking about the Christian assembly. The word there in the Greek is ekklesia, gathering. It's the word we use for church. He's talking to Christians about when they're behaving as Christians, which again, should be all the time. When Christians are gathered as Christians and behaving as Christians, there should be no partiality. So the most obvious example that James uses here is the, Christian, is the, 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 the Sunday assembly. When we're all gathered together, worshiping together as believers. 
What James says amounts to this. Someone who's very well dressed walks into your church. And nobody knows him, but everyone knows who he is. Right? And you pay more attention to him than the poor guy who comes in wearing a ratty old t-shirt, faded denim jeans, and shoes that you think might have been white maybe ten years ago. You treat one of them differently by the, than the other. James says you're committing the sin of partiality. But wait, I don't, I don't treat people like that. I, I treat everyone the same. Don't be so sure of that. Let me, let me bring this example a little bit into the 21st century, into our culture, give you some modern day examples, because I would argue that most, if not all of us, even myself, are guilty of this at some point in time. First example, do you ever, do you ever walk a bit taller? Make yourself seem maybe a bit stronger, a bit more imposing when you're, you're walking down the street and you see someone coming towards you, maybe wearing a hoodie over their head and their pants are down by their knees and... You know, they've got a bit of a swagger to them. You ever kind of just puff your chest out and walk a little bit taller and increase your, you know, make yourself look like a bigger, more imposing figure, someone who ought not be messed with? You ever bother to do that when the guy coming at you is wearing a business suit and tie? Are you more likely to nod and say hello to the guy in the suit than the guy in the hoodie and jeans? Another one, the most, the, probably the most common way that our culture does this, if, if that's not true of you individually, I got more. The most common way our culture does this, um, if not individually, is our culture idolizes celebrity. Right? I guarantee you, I could have put, an, I, I didn't because I couldn't, <laughs> because our culture idolizes celebrity, I couldn't find pictures I wanted to use. Um, I could put up pictures of celebrities on the screen and we could all fire them off, we know who they are, and I could put up pictures of scientists, politicians, lawmakers, does anyone know what the Supreme, uh, what the justices in the Supreme Court of Canada look like, all of them, if I put them up, would we know, I, I, I wouldn't, and I'm big in politics, right, we could put them up, and we'd, we'd know the celebrities, but we wouldn't know the faces of people who make decisions that affect our lives every single day, I'll, I'll tell you one that's, that's kind of a, a, a when I was reading this verse, a bit of a stinger for me. I, I really want to read um, a book that was written by a guy named R.A. Dickey. Now, R.A. Dickey wrote a book. I want to read it because not because even though I know that he's a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, and I'm a big baseball fan, I know that he's also a believer. And so I want to read the book that he wrote, but here's, here's the thing. I don't want to read it because he's a believer. I want to read it because he's a believer who happens to be a Cy Young award-winning pitcher uh, who pitches for my favorite baseball team. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to hear one of my favorite authors speak at a conference in Cambridge. It was D.A. Carson. I got to hear him speak, and I, I brought a book along with me, a book of his that I'd read and, and had, had had an impact on my life. And so I, I brought that book with me because I was going to ask him to sign it. Why? What possible value or worth does the book gain if I have the man who wrote its signature on it? I didn't actually ask him to. I, didn't, I, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit and didn't actually go through with it. So whether it's celebrities in 
culture or whether it's even celebrities within church culture, pastors, authors, whatever it is. We have this love of celebrities in our culture, this love of well-known figures in our culture. We, we, we love them. We look up to them more than other people, more than people who perhaps would be more worthy of our praise. But God says, and James says, that that's just the sin of partiality. Here's why. Verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? We heap all this praise on, on men who, who write books and have big churches and have big churches that grow and multiply and reproduce. And that's not a, I mean, those are good things, but do we, do we value and honor and do we praise the people in Syria who are brothers and sisters who are being beheaded for their faith? Because they get up to the kingdom, they stand before the throne of judgment, and they get a massive crowd. We don't even know their names. It's the key to it all, right? We're, we're Christians. That's what we are. And, and the word Christian I've mentioned before means, means what? It means little Christ. Someone who becomes more like Christ. Someone who wants to be more like Jesus. Someone who is a little Christ. Someone who is a smaller, less perfect version of Jesus. If that's who we want to be, we have to give honor to those Jesus gives honor to. And who does Jesus give much honor to? The poor. The lowly. I mean, just you don't have to look any further than the apostles. He picks fishermen, blue-collar guys, to be his closest friends, his confidants, his best followers. And in our culture, I mean, this seeps into our lives as believers so quickly. We have our own version of celebrity culture, even within the church. And in our culture, we idolize those who are rich and well-off and those who are celebrities and famous, rather than the people that Jesus gave praise and honor to. Verse 6, we have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and want to drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I listen to secular music. I listen to secular music more than I do Christian music. And I can tell you that for certain because I hardly ever listen to Christian music. And here's why I do it. I do it because generally I think the quality is better. Just the quality of the musicianship and the singing is better. Secular music has more subtleties and more complexities. And I, I just like it better. I watch secular TV, I watch secular movies because I want to learn and understand how the world around me works and how people who aren't believers see the world and how they understand the world because deep down, like Paul, I want to learn how to teach them, how to, how to talk to them about the world and about how it really is as opposed to what they think it is. But more than that, I think if I'm really honest with myself, more than that, I watch it because it's better art. And I like art. So this verse gets to me. Right? This verse gets to me. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and drag you into court? Okay, that's not happening to me. I'm a 30-year-old white male living in Canada. Right? I'm not being oppressed. I'm not being dragged into court. But that last one, that last one, are they not the ones who blaspheme the name by which you are called? Whoa. 
Now hold on. When I watch secular TV, when I watch secular movies, when I listen to secular music, am I giving honor to someone who isn't a Christian and thus by definition blasphemes the name of God? Is that what I'm doing? That's a great question. <laughs> Stop me in my tracks. It's a wonderful, great question. And I don't want to spend too much, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole too far, but I will say this. Number one, as with just about everything, it's not about your behavior. It's about where your heart is at when you're doing it. Number two, even Paul and Mars Hill had to participate or consume elements of culture around him so that he could effectively communicate the gospel to that culture. And number three, it is possible to worship God through the gifts he has given others who don't follow him. It is still possible to worship God through that. Okay? So hopefully that, those three things, that will spur on some discussion later on in the afternoon over lunch. But I don't want to go too far into that because I can spend days on that. So verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I'll pause there for just a second. There's a great quote that I heard recently. And it happens to, because I mentioned him earlier, it happens to be a D.A. Carson quote. Um, He says this, he says, Sometimes we love our neighbor as ourselves. A precious precious little while we love our neighbors as ourselves. And then we ruin it by patting ourselves on the back for it. You're showing partiality. In this case, you're showing partiality to yourself. I love my neighbor as myself. Look at how great I am. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on. (laughs) Think about what you just said. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, one thing, there's one thing you ever do that is contrary to the law of Moses, you have become accountable for all of it because it all comes from the same place. Here we go. This is the core of what James is getting at. If you have ever sinned anything, anything small, anything big, any single thing that you've done, then you are, James says, and God says by extension, guilty of all of it. All of it. That's a pretty wide net. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure that that net is wide enough to capture everyone who has ever lived in the past whoever will live in the future or who is currently living on the earth with one notable exception, Jesus Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. And you could, you could add to that, if you want to be so bold, as to say all will sin and fall short of the glory of God. If all have sinned, if we all have individually sinned, that we're all guilty of breaking the whole law. We're all sinners against the holy God. And if that's the only thing that matters in the universe, why in the world would we ever hold one fellow sinner above another for trying to be more like Christ? That's what partiality is. 
We ought to know who we are. We're sinners saved by a holy, righteous, merciful God. And we are to show that mercy to those around us. Verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment. I love this this line. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. We're all going to be judged one day. And that judgment will have no mercy within it if we have shown no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. I'll end here. This is where we get to the crux of James's message. This is where we get to the crux of the gospel. In the eyes of God, without Christ in the picture, we're all the same. In the eyes of God, without Christ, we are all the same. We are sinners worthy of nothing but judgment and condemnation. Every breath we take is an act of grace and mercy on the, act of, on, on the part of God. That's it. God's an impartial, perfect, righteous, holy judge. And so he has every right to judge us all as guilty and condemn us. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He elects some of us to salvation and he shows us mercy. Then he commissions us to go out and show that mercy to others. And on, on my own, I've been spending a lot of time in Colossians 4, 6 lately. I mentioned it last week. I'm, I'm still there in my head and my heart. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you are to answer each person. Paul's talking about how we deal with outsiders how we deal with people who aren't saved we are to season our speech with salt next time you have a paper cut or a or a little like just just a little nick like like guys if you cut yourself shaving right if you don't have a beard like i do you cut yourself shaving or you get a little cut on your hand or anything next time you get a little injury that blood comes out just go to the kitchen get a salt shaker and just sprinkle a bit of salt on there you're gonna feel it like it's not gonna be comfortable it's gonna sting a little bit now Rather than doing that, just take the salt, put, it in, put a big pile in your hand, and cram it on the injury. And try not to curse. <laughs> right? Like, we season our speech with salt. Right? Just enough that you can feel it. Because we're talking, I mean, Paul's talking here about how we deal with outsiders. Because we're talking to people who are unsaved. They have a wound. They have a wound. That has yet to be repaired. We're talking with people who have the wound of sin. And that has not yet been. They haven't yet been saved from that sin. It's, it's a wound. So we, we season it with salt. Just enough that you feel it. You don't, you don't pack the wound with salt. You're not trying to preserve the wound. Right? You just want them to know it's there. Then you tell them how to, how to heal it. So we season our speech with salt. We don't pack the salt in there. Because we're not, we're not judges. We're not the judge. I'm not the judge. You're not the judge. That's out of my pay grade. And I don't want to be the judge. I'd rather be the guy who shows mercy than to be the guy that comes down with judgment. Where we've been shown mercy, we don't now show partiality. Because we're better than everyone. In fact, Paul encourages us in Philippians to see ourselves as worse than everyone, even though we're better off. 
right? We're not better than anyone, we're better off because we're saved. James says that that extends to within the church. We're all equals here. It's been said often that the the ground at the foot of the cross is level, right? And most times when people talk about that, they're they're talking about sin. They're right. right? There is no sin that separates you worse than me or better than me. The foot of the ground, uh, the foot at the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level in terms of sin, yes, but also in terms of other things: wealth, race, gender, socioeconomic status, privilege. Right? I said this earlier. I'm a 30-year-old white guy in Canada. It doesn't get much more privileged than me. But the, the ground at the foot of the cross is leveled. And I'm no better off than an immigrant coming off the boat. I'm no better off than an African in Africa at the foot of the cross. We're equal. There's no difference between us. We are the same. We are worthy of dignity. We are worthy of value. We are worthy of worth. We are each precious to God regardless of our past, regardless of how much or how little we spend on a watch or a pair of shoes, regardless of how we dress. James tells us that if we forget that, if we treat people differently, then we're judging other people. We're stepping outside of ourselves. We're stepping outside of our role. And so we will be judged in the same way, without mercy, as we judge without mercy. Jesus said the same thing, right? The measure you use is the measure that will be used against you. We show mercy, not only because it's a much more fun job than justice, Not only because it's a much more fun job than showing judgment. We show mercy because we have been shown mercy. And that is like, they call it the Great Commission. Once you get that idea, you get why. Let's pray.